The Nonprofit Hour, a weekly look at Portland's nonprofits and do-gooders, with interviews, profiles, and documentaries. This is the Nonprofit Hour program here on X-Ray FM. The show is brought to us by the Media Institute for Social Change, a public interest media lab that works to inspire, empower, and engage emerging media producers. I'm Jason Dennington. On this week's show, we'll be hearing two interviews that were recorded at our latest live show at the Waypost on North Williams with organizations that encourage and empower young people to become all they can be. In the second half of the show, we have a conversation with Elizabeth Nye of Girls Inc. of the Pacific Northwest, an organization that was built on the foundation of over a century of history of girls clubs that has evolved to become a place that inspires girls ages 6 to 18 to be strong, smart, and bold with gender-specific programs that provide girls with the confidence and self-esteem to access a bright and economically independent future. Up first, though, Phil Bussey spoke with Dr. Phil Marshall about Oregon Crusaders, the Pacific Northwest's premier drum and bugle corps. They are an organization with roots tracing back to 1971 that gives young people an opportunity to gain an education in a powerful athletic and artistic performance medium and present their works to audiences around the country, such as on their current 14,000-mile tour. Here to tell us all about it are Phil Bussey and Phil Marshall. This is Phil Bussey. It's the Media Institute for Social Changes Nonprofit Hour on XRA FM. We are recording live at our monthly uh, live recording at the Waypost at North Williams. We are without our house band Irving tonight, which is which is a disappointment, but it is sort of a mood point because our first guest, Phil Marshall, uh, is the founder, board president of Oregon Crusaders, who are really all about music. Welcome, Phil. Thank you very much, Phil. It's good to be with you. <laughs> this is going to get awkward, isn't it, Phil and Phil? I don't think so. Because I know which one I'm talking to, and you know which one you're talking to. <laughs> fair, fair enough. So, uh, Oregon Crusaders. Let's let's just start with it's it's a drum corps, but that's really oversimplifying the matters. Well, that's one phrase of many that describes who we are. We go by many names: uh, the Oregon Crusaders Drum and Bugle Corps, the Oregon Crusaders Drum Corps (OC), uh, Oregon's Major League Team in Marching Music. Uh, we are the largest youth performing arts organization from Portland that nobody's ever heard of. <laughs> and well, let's, let's start there. Why has nobody ever heard of you? Because you guys make a lot of sound. We do make a lot of sound. It's really quite ironic and remarkable. Um, and, uh, and yet we like to keep it a, a little secret. Actually, no, of course, I'm, I'm kidding. We'd love everybody to know about the Oregon Crusaders. Um, we do a few local performances where people can take in uh, our, um, our art. But, uh, but most of our work is done during a 14,000-mile tour across the country, which is one of the reasons that people might not be quite so familiar is because we're oftentimes very far away. But it's, it's also hard not to be well-known. You guys have 200, 250-plus students every year that are going through. I mean, thousands of people have gone through your program. 
Absolutely. Uh, we're now up to probably about 400, between 400 and 500 um, students that we reach every year through our three ensembles. Uh, the biggest among them um, has just moved in uh, together um, two days ago to begin their month-long rehearsals, 12 hours a day of rehearsal outside, if you can imagine that. Um, and, uh, and so they are getting ready for the tour as we speak, and that is the drum corps. Uh, we have also two winter ensembles, a color guard and a drum line um, that, that do quite well. So these, these 12 hours a day, and, and, and it sounds like boot camp. Oh, it's very much boot camp, and it's, uh, it's both exhilarating as well as exhausting for everyone involved. In addition to the 150 performers, ages 15 to 21, we have over 40 designers and instructors that put the program together, teach the kids the, the movement and the music, um, and there is so much movement. It's kaleidoscopic whiplash forms on a football field that's amazing to watch and to listen to. It's as much dance as it is music. Yeah, I, w I want to get to the staff because I was really impressed by the number of people that are working with these these youth. I mean, of course, Sarah, you have you have a huge number, and, and you, that that takes a lot of uh, talent and a lot of numbers to, to work with it. Let's let's keep on the students for a little bit though. So, where are the students coming from, and what are they looking for by being part of Oregon Crusaders? Oh, what a great question. So, our students are really looking to experience. Um, the best of the best of the best, um, the highest caliber um, uh, marching music experience, the top circuit in the world, um, and we are one of only 23 world-class drum corps in, in the world, and so it's really, uh, they're striving to be perfect with the most intricate um, and phenomenal 11-minute um, piece of art you could ever imagine putting on a football field. And uh, you asked where do our students come from, um, half of our kids come from the Pacific Northwest, many from right here in the Willamette Valley. Um, however, half come from elsewhere, drawn to the quality of the program that we have. We have eight kids from Japan this year. We have 30 kids from Texas. Um, Texas has great marching bands um, because of their football programs, as you might imagine. So a lot of talent to be had in Texas, and we're very proud of our Texas contingent. Well, let's, uh, so when we're talking about kids, what age group are we talking about here? 15 to 21. Okay. Um, our average age is a little bit more than 18. And, and is that the part of the crossover? Is that going in and playing at football games? Certainly that's where I was introduced. I grew up in Madison, Wisconsin. University of Wisconsin has... I, I, I didn't realize that marching bands actually recorded albums and that these would sell at record stores, but that apparently is, is a thing, and, and uh, the marching band there is a big deal. Is that what is drawing a lot of the students into this, or again, what are they looking for? Well, it's a very different experience, but yes, a lot of our, um, a lot of our members, um, in fact, have that exact experience. They're very active in their respective marching bands, whether it's their juniors or seniors in high school, about ready to go into college, or part of Oregon Marching Band, or part of uh, University of North Texas Marching Band, or wherever they may come from. And they're generally very active, not just active, but also leaders within those programs. And it's good to know that you're a cheesehead. I'm a Hoosier myself. Um, and so we have now uh, even more in common. <laughs> And, and let's take a quick music break here. Uh, you have a couple songs that are from one of the upcoming uh, shows. Do you want to pick one of those and, and we'll come back after a music break? Sure. Every summer program is comprised of our own original um, uh, 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 arrangement of certain compositions. And, uh, and so there are a couple um, that I, I share with you. Um, and one, of, one is Muses' Knights of Sidonia. 
Um, and so that's a, that's a really good one to start with. Let's take a listen. Nonprofit Hour on X-Ray FM. That was a really fun, bombastic song. And uh, I, this is Phil Bussey. I am talking to Phil Marshall, who is one of the founders and board president from Oregon Crusaders. Uh, Phil, why were we listening to that song? Well, two reasons. Um, so one is, uh, three, let me go with three. So one is, it's cool and different, um, which I mean, who doesn't like that? Second, um, the, the words in the song, when they say, you and I must fight to survive, that really is what nonprofits live and breathe every, every day. Um, and the third is that it happens to be part of our 2016 show called Hunted. So I, I want to talk about that a little bit. Uh, the mission of Oregon Crusaders, world-class education through performance. And I'm thinking that there is, this, is, uh, this is more than pageantry. This is more than musical. Uh, this, there, there's development. There's character development. There's leadership development that's going on as part of uh, the program. Is that on base? 
it's an immersive program unlike any other that develops not only musical and physical skills but teamwork um, as well as um, you know creating something that that really wouldn't otherwise be possible had you not had like-minded individuals come together to do it it's um, it's it's character building in a way that um, is really unlike anything any of us have experienced elsewhere everybody who gets involved and is a member of the organization really sees the Oregon Crusaders as a family not only that year but really throughout the course of their life so let's let's roll back the clock a little bit and talk about the history uh, th this is this is Oregon Crusaders 2.0 in some ways, uh, uh, more more like 4.0 or 5.0. Okay, um, that I, I can fill you in on all that. Absolutely, please do. Yeah. So, the Oregon Crusaders um, emerged originally in its original form in 1971, um, back at a time when drum corps were sprouting up like you know, like dandelions. Um, there well, were. There were more than 20 drum corps at a time back in the 70s in the Pacific Northwest. Why, why, why is that? They why were, was that? They were local community organizations that generally performed locally. Um, some of them became a little bit bigger and, and actually toured nationally, but mostly they were just local organizations. Well, one of those out of um, West Lynn and Oregon City was this little group called the Oregon Crusaders. Now, it's a really interesting founding situation. The two brothers who founded the Oregon Crusaders, David Jones and his brother Ron Jones, were 16 and 15 years old, respectively. Now, it, it really takes something to, at 16 and 15 to say, I'm going to create a nonprofit performing arts organization and then take that on the road. And is that okay, Mom? <laughs> and then I guess she just nods. And, um, and that's exactly what happened. Now, what's interesting about that is at the age of 16, David Jones arranged all of the transportation. His brother, Ron, at the age of 15, arranged all of the music. Fast forward, David Jones would become one of the top executives at one of the top executive travel firms in the country. His brother, Ron Jones, became a three-time Grammy nominee, three-time Emmy nominee as Seth MacFarlane's composer on Family Guy and just about anything else that Seth MacFarlane does. So it's amazing how young talent like that can grow and become truly world-class talent. Yeah, and it's easy, you're obviously you're, you're drawing a very straight line from uh, the skills that they had and the skills that they developed to to what, what they became in their professional lives. That's right. And so that was version 1.0. Um, there were some other iterations that happened uh, throughout time. But in 2007, we restarted the organization. And I was one of the re-founders of the organization at that time. And, uh, and we grew it from seven kids showing up at the first camp to now putting 150 kids on a 14,000 mile tour. And why and how? I mean, what, why, what is it that, that has grown from seven to you know, dozens, hundreds of kids? What is it that you guys are doing right? My initial reaction was I have no idea, uh, but I that's not that entirely do. true. Um, so um, it was definitely a crazy endeavor. And if you'd like, I can share with you some stories of things that have just not gone well. Um, and hopefully uh, in a humorous way, and I won't start <laughs> crying. But um, as we recreated the group in 2007, we really created um, a set of principles, um, a character around the organization, a mission um, that everybody in the organization really holds um, true to. And, and we've stayed true to that. Um, we really focus on education through performance. We know that it's that, that world-class 
um, extremely well orchestrated performance and the ability to participate in that art and everything that has to go into that that everybody is really about um, and uh, and we've uh, we've held true to that and we've grown um, from um, gosh 62 members not that long ago to winning the open class drum corps championship which is the smaller group activity um, and then immediately after we're promoted to the world class uh, 150 members is as many as you can have so we're pretty proud of that and and does that then put a cap on on any growth that you can have from here on out then not really no um, because of of the programs our winter ensembles as well we continue to grow in the number of kids that we serve whether it's training them through the audition process and providing them some guidance even though they might not make the 150 member ensemble um, and so no it's a, it's a growing organization all the same this is the Nonprofit Hour on X-Ray FM. I'm talking to Phil Marshall, who is founder and board president from Oregon for Oregon Crusaders. Uh, let's take another music break. So the second uh, piece that, um, that we'll listen to um, is um, a piece by Queen, and um, it's called Who Wants to Live Forever? And why are you picking that piece? Two reasons. <laughs> One is that it again is part of this year's 2016 program, Hunted. The second is um, it really represents what happens when you create art. And that is you really put an imprint um, in, if you want to get so ethereal, the fabric of the universe um, that really truly does live forever. And that's what these, um, these members, these students do. Let's take a listen.
That was Queen, and this is Phil Bussey, and this is the Nonprofit Hour on X-Ray FM. I am pleased to be talking to Phil Marshall, who is with Oregon Crusaders. Phil, I, we, we've been talking about uh, the youth that are that are involved and in, and the successes that the organization has had. Um, I, I, I want to give you just a little pop culture quiz here. Music Man, what do you, what are your feelings about the? the I played play? Ali Hackam in Music Man. <laughs> uh, the movie Drumline. Um, by the way, I didn't react to Music Man. I just told you that I played it. <laughs> so, right. so, uh, so I can, I can, I can go with this. Um, so Drumline. So um, there, are, there are a few things that people um, have as common um, cultural references when I start to explain what we do. Um, one of them is, is that like Drumline? The other is, have you seen the Ohio State marching band? <laughs> It's one of the other common references. So what's interesting about that is if you're familiar with that, you're familiar with something that is easily as entertaining as, as what we do, but it's also so incredibly different. And this is how I actually talk about that. So if you've ever gone to an air show, the historic biplane that goes over and does acrobatic moves is very entertaining and very old school. When you see F-18s go over and do acrobatic moves, that's precision and that's power. Both equally entertaining, but couldn't be more different. And that's really the difference between programs like Drumline or the Ohio State University and Drum Corps. And you're not the biplane. We in this. are very much. <laughs> no, I'm not bi nor curious. Um, <laughs> and we are very much a um, F-18. And, and talk about your background in music. I mean, you, you, you were in The Music Man, but, but talk about your background in music. What first hooked you into uh, music of any sort? I wrote my first marching band show um, at the age of 15. And so I was very active in my own program. Um, I, I wrote the drill, I arranged the music, I wrote drumline parts. Uh, to Carnival Overture, which is a big Dvorak piece, very difficult. I, for some reason, at that age, thought I could write the drumline piece, and so I did. And um, color guard choreography. And um, I just fell in love with, with the activity. And then, after I had already begun doing that, only then did I realize that there was this whole different world of drum corps, this elite circuit of organizations, community organizations, not school-based organizations, that come together every year to perform these phenomenal programs against each other. I happened to fall in love with one out of Santa Clara, California, called the Santa Clara Vanguard. Um, and uh, I went to medical school, I went into surgery residency, and during that time, of course, lost a lot of, of um, my everyday, sort of day-to-day -day connection to marching band. But, I stayed in touch with that group down in California and, um, and got to know them quite well and then got, um, you know, got more interested in what we could do up here in Portland. And, and so your, your background, your professional background is as, as a doctor. You were involved with WebMD for some time. Uh, yeah, well, that's right. So I um, actually am really a healthcare technology guy. I run a, uh, my own healthcare technology company currently. And is any of that, is, is there any of that that crosses over, either that your musical interest informed uh, or that informs your uh, role with, with the nonprofit? Well, I, I think so. I think that probably my um, level of expectations, my um, focus on detail, um, really um, expecting a high level of execution out of, out of teams um, and really 
just embracing it, them all as family members, both whether it be in my professional um, life or with the drum corps. Um, and I just blend it all up in a mixer and it's called me. So there, there you have it. We're talking with Phil Marshall with the Oregon Crusaders. And, and, and so I know you guys are on the 14,000 miles. Is that what you said? 14,000 mile That's tour? Correct. Yeah. That's a big tour. Yeah, we go as far east as Washington, D.C. and, uh, and Boston. Um, and uh, we, we perform in some of the biggest venues that there are, including the Mile High Stadium in Denver, Alamo Dome, the Georgia Dome, the Indianapolis Colts Stadium is where we end every season. And, uh, and so um, it's quite the experience. Four meals a day. Um, we, we Wait, actually, one, two, three, four, you just said? Four meals okay. a day. Everybody eats. Um, generally, the kids um, consume between seven and 9,000 calories a day. Um, generally, uh, about... Um, I think uh, 9,000 gallons of diesel fuel will go through in a season and, uh, and just about 5,000 pounds of ground beef, I think, something like that. Yeah, it's like we might as well just actually herd our own cows because it would probably be cheaper. I like that. I don't think many nonprofits have uh, the number of, of pounds of ground beef that they go through as a metric of their success. It's, it's one of our key metrics. We, we follow it every year. And for people who don't uh, happen to be at the, uh, any, any of these, uh, these stadiums, uh, they can see you guys closer to home. Is that correct? Uh, absolutely. So, um, so we actually have three um, performances that are close to home. Um, the first is on June 26th. That's our season kickoff, our preview, where you can actually see the show live for the first time. Lots of family and friends will be there at, at that show. But then um, it's our big DCI show. So we're actually a host of a big drum corps international show where groups like the Santa Clara Vanguard that I mentioned a moment ago are actually traveling through and up through Portland. Quite a sight to see. They're one of the top six drum corps in the world and that actually will be at Tigard High School on July the 2nd um, and uh, that that performance starts at 7 o'clock and then the third if anybody happens to be in Portland and July the weekend of uh, July 3rd on Sunday July 3rd at 1 o'clock will be our concert at Pioneer Courthouse Square so we're very excited about that excellent Phil Marshall thank you so much for all the work that you do with uh, Oregon Crusaders thanks for being with us and you have one more song to take us out correct I do. Um, and so this, this last song um, will be familiar to um, many of your listeners. This is Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah. It happens to be our core song, and the group um, sings it prior to um, every performance. And you'll be able to catch this at the concert um, as well. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Now I've heard there was a secret chord that David played and it pleased the Lord but you don't really care for music do you? It goes like this the fourth, the fifth, the minor
If you're just tuning in, you're listening to the Nonprofit Hour from the Media Institute for Social Change on X-Ray FM. To become a supporting member of the Media Institute and find out more about their work, you can visit mediamakingchange.org. Members receive annual benefits and support programs such as the Nonprofit Hour and their summer documentary program. The Nonprofit Hour is also brought to you in part by generous support from Pacific Continental Bank and BusinessWorks. Find out more at therightbank.com or businessworkspdx.com. We also receive support from Living Room Realty, who are committed to living and doing business with meaning. Saravisa, where Midwest hospitality meets home cooking and the craft beer craze a great neighborhood tavern convenient in North Portland at 1004 North Killingsworth, and Ristretto Roasters, locally owned and small batch roasted since 2005, four cafes in urban Portland and available at local markets and online. More info at rrpdx.com. Now back to the recording from our most recent live show. Here's Phil Bussey speaking to Elizabeth Nye of Girls, Inc., Phil Bussey, we are at the Waypost on North Williams with our monthly live recording of the Nonprofit Hour. Uh, I am pleased to be with Elizabeth Nye, who is the Executive Director of Girls, Inc. of the Pacific Northwest. Welcome. Thank you so much. And, and uh, Girls, Inc. of the Pacific Northwest, that, that implies this is part of a large organization. You're right. We actually are an affiliate of Girls Incorporated, which, uh, funny enough, is the oldest girl-serving organization in the country. Our roots date back to 1864, um, and uh, for most of that time we were known as Girls Clubs of America up until about the 1970s when uh, there were some shifting organizations at the time and we decided to change our name to Girls Incorporated. And, and why can we roll back uh, 170 years and what, what was the impetus for uh, forming these Girls Clubs? Great question. It was actually part of the uh, industrial, industrial Revolution. There were lots of young people moving to factory towns to work in the factories and the young men and boys uh, had places to go, whether they were, you know, productive places to go, that's another uh, story, but they went, you know, gambling, drinking halls, sports, etc. And the young women that were in these factory towns um, really didn't have an outlet. And so, uh, as the story goes, the uh, factory owner wives got together and created these girls' clubs, which were essentially safe places to uh, be together uh, and to be supported while these young women were so far from home. And do you know the history of, of any of girl clubs uh, around that time in Portland? No. <laughs> uh, that's where our history uh, fast forward dramatically because we were founded here as a Girls Inc. affiliate in 2005. 
Uh, so we've only been operating uh, as a girls inc for about 11 years now. And now, now the mission includes uh, girls to be, quote, strong, smart, and bold. Absolutely. Those are the three core words of our organization. So um, we, I have to take a step back, though, and say um, the full mission statement is inspiring girls to be strong, smart, and bold. Um, and the reason we say that is that we uh, fundamentally believe that every single girl actually already is strong, smart, and bold within her. Um, and it's our job to inspire them uh, to see that in themselves. The strong, the smart, and the bold for us line up to uh, major categories of programs that we work with our girls on. So uh, strong in our programming relates to everything a girl um, needs to be healthy, uh, whether that's uh, body image, um, substance abuse prevention, reproductive health, uh, stress reduction, you name it. So we have programming that addresses all of these things. Uh, SMART is very much focused on ensuring that the girls are achieving academically and preparing for future careers. Um, and finally, BOLD, uh, which is, um, I think, sometimes the hardest one uh, to wrap our heads around in our society for girls um, has to do with leadership uh, predominantly, but also personal development and life skills. Yeah, well, let's, let's walk through some of these programs a little bit more if mm -hmm. you can. So, I mean, the, the bold is an interesting one. So somebody shows up at, at your doorstep and, and they want to be bolder. How do you, how do you teach them those skills? So, um, the thing that I would say about that is, um, all of our girls meet in after-school girls groups uh, and the girls groups run at either schools or community centers and they usually consist of um, ages no more than two grade ages uh, together um, so the first thing that we're doing right off the bat is providing a safe and supportive place to be a girl um, and it's really establishing um, that place where a girl can truly uh, learn about herself express herself um, try new things, um, that's where that boldness starts to come into play, regardless of whatever, whatever program we're actually running at that time. Um, but then we also have a number of leadership programs that we do with the girls um, where you know, we may be talking about female role models that they've never heard of because we don't talk about them. So um, across the board, um, uh, the programming, the all-girl environment, and then finally we're putting um, really amazing women in front of the girls on a daily basis. So our girls groups are led by either a combination of staff um, and or volunteer facilitators who come from all walks of life. And it's being able to connect with these women and learn about their stories that, um, and the fact that these women care about these girls and show up um, every day to work with them um, says something to the girl about her value. And, and, and these are, most of these are, or many of these are long-term programs. I think I saw mm -hmm. one that you're accepting applications for the class of 2021. Yes. Um, so as um, you're mentioning our Eureka program, and Eureka is a phenomenal program. It's a five-year program that girls and their families uh, sign up for in between their seventh and eighth grade year. And um, ultimately, this program um, had been designed as a science, technology, engineering, math program because there are too few uh, women in these fields, particularly women of color. Um, so the program was designed to uh, bring women into STEM uh, fields and careers. Um, but um, at the end of the day, what we're really focused on is ensuring that these girls graduate from high school um, and have all of the options available to them to pr uh, pursue post-secondary careers. Uh, so in their very first year, we put them on a college campus for four weeks in the summer, uh, full-time. So they are there from nine to five, 
Uh, and then uh, the third summer, which we're entering into for one of our groups, um, do concentrated internships that are STEM-based. Um, and then the fourth and fifth summers, they spend um, either doing internships or preparing for their college application process. So, so I, I want to take just a step back. So who, is there a specific demographic that's, that's being drawn to Girls Inc.? Yeah, so um, nationally, uh, we are focused on working uh, with girls who have fewer opportunities. Um, and when we started talking about, well, how do we name that? Um, we were very careful to say um, that we are focused on girls who live in low-income communities, uh, but we are not focused on uh, low-income girls because we don't want that label to define them um, and what their future could hold for them. So uh, we do predominantly work um, at schools that are identified as Title I schools. Elizabeth and I is the Executive Director for Girls Inc. of the Pacific Northwest. This is the Nonprofit Hour. Uh, Elizabeth, you have you, you asked your staff for some music suggestions. Uh, can you start us off with one? Uh, absolutely. Uh, so the first one that came to mind immediately um, when I asked my staff was Beyonce's Run the World. Um, we do a uh, program called Girls Council where uh, 15 girls apply and they're selected as our Girl Leadership Council um, and they help us make decisions about our programming and um, really amazingly this year they piloted an initiative with the Peace Corps uh, called uh, Let Girls Learn that was being championed by Michelle Obama and um, our little tiny local affiliate here in Portland uh, basically is working with the Peace Corps to develop this program that will then be rolled out to girls across the country. Wonderful. Mm -hmm. Let's take a listen to Beyonce. This is the Nonprofit Hour. 
This is Phil Bussey. I'm talking with Elizabeth Nye, the Executive Director for Girls, Inc. of the Pacific Northwest. I want to talk a little bit, before the first music break, we were talking about uh, some of the general idea of the programs and the, the mission to help uh, girls find the skills to be strong, smart, and bold. Mm -hmm. I want to talk a little bit about how have things changed in the last 10 or 15 years? Or, or have they changed in terms of how you deliver programs or uh, how girls are identifying mm -hmm. uh, themselves to their skills? Um, so a couple of things that I would say um, in terms of how we serve girls. Um, most Girls Inc. affiliates, when you look at them in other locations around the country, are center-based, which means that they are chartered for a specific county, let's say Monroe County, and girls from that county uh, come to that center every day after school for programming. Um, I think what we um, realized when we entered the Portland market just over 10 years ago was that um, girls who live in low-income communities exist throughout our metropolitan region area, and that we um, were very um, concerned about picking a, one location um, and then excluding access for other girls. Um, so I think the fact that um, you know, poverty is everywhere um, is something that we're seeing. Uh, we're certainly not seeing it getting any better with uh, young children in our communities. Um, and so we've been really focused on developing what we call this go to the girl methodology of taking the programs wherever the girls are. Um, and then the other thing that I would say, um, two other things. One, I hear repeatedly from people, oh, girls are doing great. They're graduating from high school at higher rates. They're going to college. They are graduating at higher rates than boys, et cetera. Um, and the thing that I always um, want to remind people of is that this is not a competition between boys and girls, um, that we exist to ensure that, um, you know, that girls are getting what they need to be successful. Um, and then I also definitely, going back to the first issue, we see a huge divide. I mean, there are girls that are being left behind in our community. Um, and um, you know, by all accounts, um, girls are doing great in many ways. Um, but there is a whole subsector of girls that aren't doing so well. And, and now your, your programs don't entirely focus on girls 6 to 18, but there's also mm -hmm. training for adults. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so a few years ago, uh, we looked around our community and said, we live in a city that has a tremendous rate of volunteerism. Um, and I hate to say this, but um, the volunteers are overwhelmingly women. <laughs> Um, and we were inundated with phone calls and we really actually didn't know what to do with it. Um, all of these phone calls that we were getting, but we thought we cannot uh, waste this precious resource. So uh, we basically turned the Girls Inc. formula on its head. Um, nationally, our model is professionally trained staff um, facilitators. And we said, you know, we're gonna experiment with volunteer facilitators and see what we can make of it. So about uh, just a little over three years ago, we developed a um, volunteer training program. Um, and annually, right now, we are training up to 250 women a year to go out into our girls' groups and lead programming paired up um, in pairs of two. And, and uh, now that it's been in, in play for a couple of years, how is that working? I mean, is that old dog's new tricks? I mean, are, or is, are people picking up on this? Is it going well? Uh, it's been phenomenal. I, you know, the thing that um, I have so many women who approach me and they're like, oh, I'm not sure if the girls are going to like me, um, that kind of thing. And I, you know, we, we can rest assured that once you get in front of the girls, they are just so excited 
to have somebody there that cares about them and is in the group and showing up every week. Uh, so we have women, we've had women in their 80s and we've had you know, college students the whole span um, and they each bring um, their own life perspectives and ways of interacting with the girls. So it's been, from our experience, a very rich um, opportunity for our girls to connect with women across the community. Um, and I hear constantly the women saying, I mean, this is verbatim, I hear it every single day, uh, I wish there had been a Girls Inc. when I was a kid. Um, you know, that the programming that they are working with the girls through, I hear it over and over again. They're like, I'm gonna go home and do this for myself. And, and, and most the, the, uh, the girls that you're working with, I mean, you're, again, you're working with for not just dropping in for a week, but this is long, long term. And yeah. So typically what happens, uh, we'll be at a school and we'll do an after school girls group uh, for the academic year. So we'll do a fall term, winter term, spring term, um, and the girls can sign up on a term by term basis, but they usually you know, come back each term. Um, and so um, over the course of the school year, we are working with them consistently. And I'm curious where transgender youth fall into your programs. Mm -hmm. I mean, surely there, there's been some discussion about providing services and, and where that falls in, especially with an organization called Girls Inc. Absolutely. Um, so our board uh, years ago uh, voted on a policy that basically stated that any child who identifies as a girl is welcome in Girls Inc. programming. Um, and we continue to try to um, ensure that we have inclusive spaces um, for all girls. This is the Nonprofit Hour. I am talking with Elizabeth Nye, who is Executive Director of Girls Inc. of the Pacific Northwest. Uh, again, you, you talked to your staff and you had some uh, really fun song suggestions. How about a, another one? Oh, uh, so we picked um, Sarah Bareilles' Brave, um, very popular amongst the girls. Um, and also, uh, when I think about this song, I think about the fact that um, it's about finding your voice and about using your voice and being brave enough to do so, sort of that bold uh, that we work with our girls on. Um, and it, um, in my mind, speaks to another element of Girls Inc. that we haven't touched upon yet, which is our advocacy focus as well. Um, we firmly believe that it is important for girls to use their voices on issues that matter to them. And so uh, we do lots of different um, trainings in our programming that uh, situate girls to do that. Let's take a listen. You can be amazing, you can turn a phrase into a weapon or a drug. You can be the outcast to be the backlash of somebody's lack of love. Or you can start speaking up. Nothing's gonna hurt you.
That was a song that was probably very familiar to many of you who have kids. <laughs> uh, this is Phil Bussey. It's the Nonprofit Hour. I'm talking to Elizabeth Nye, the Executive Director for Girls, Inc. of the Pacific Northwest. Now, now, your own background, your professional background is very interesting. You're a graduate of Georgetown University School of Foreign Service. You worked on international campaigns, uh, many which seem to focus on health issues, malaria, prevention, clean water, HIV, AIDS prevention mm -hmm. in the developing world. How do those skills, how are those translating into what you're doing now? Uh, great question. So I grew up here in Portland and I attended an all-girls high school. Uh, and uh, when I you know, launched out into the world, I was definitely focused on getting out of Portland. <laughs> so I went as far away as I could to Washington, D.C., where I uh, focused on international relations. And you know, once I graduated, went straight out into working in DC and with the nonprofit that was focused uh, at the time in Africa. Um, always what was driving me were sort of four key things, women, children, health, and education. So anything that I uh, sort of pursued had to have some combination of those four factors. Um, and you know, fast forward, when I got my master's degree um, and went into the pharmaceutical industry, uh, was working on HIV AIDS, as you mentioned, um, but there was something that was calling me and my family home. So when we got back here, uh, you know, I, I looked at the sector and I said, you know, I think youth and education are the two key things that I see uh, most prevalent in terms of needs here in the Portland area, and so jumped right in. And, and growing up or, or, or during your early professional career, did you have any role models or mentors? I did, um, and this is not unique. Every single woman that I talked to throughout the almost seven years I've been at Girls Inc. Uh, will, when asked that question, talk about their mother, um, and, which I think is really telling um, in a lot of ways. Um, in my case, I point to three women who, in my you know upbringing, personified the strong, smart, bold um, in terms of my grandmother, my mother, and then my mother's best friend, um, all of whom taught me what it means uh, to inhibit all of those qualities. And, and uh, during the last 10 years or so, I mean, what impact have you seen women like public figures like Michelle Obama, mm -hmm. uh, Hillary Clinton play? I mean, obviously, uh, both those women really uh, embody strong, smart, bold. Mm -hmm. um, so I'll use my own daughter as an example. Both I have an 11-year-old um, and a 13-year-old, both of whom have been in Girls Inc. programming for at least the last five years. Um, and you know, regardless of um, politics or you know what side of the aisle you stand on, um, my younger daughter is so excited about a woman running for president at this level um, that uh, she pretty much has signed us up to volunteer for the campaign. <laughs> um, and I think that again, uh, seeing because the girls get it. I mean, they look at pictures, they see the media, they get all of the messages that are being sent to them, whether they were intentional or not. Um, and when you see these small examples of women rising to the top, it means a lot to them. You know, I mean, I grew up in the 70s and there was this whole feeling of, oh, a woman could be president, but it was like, okay, well, how long is that going to take? Um, and so I think that um, the more our girls see women in positions of leadership, the more it communicates that that's where they belong. And, and, and just to round out our discussion, you talked a little bit about the advocacy programs or the advocacy training that you do. Can you expand on that a little bit? Um, absolutely. So um, I would say that um, there are a couple of uh, core things that we do, 
specifically with our girls council um, where we train them to be ambassadors and uh, leaders for the organization um, teach them about public speaking uh, these sorts of things uh, so that they are situated to uh, speak on behalf of issues that girls face. And on, an example that I would give on that, um, a few years ago, uh, there was a um, healthy teen, um, healthy sexuality legislation being uh, discussed in committee down at the Oregon legislature. And we got a call saying, can your girls come and talk about, you know, the issues they face? Uh, and it was a holiday weekend, of course. So uh, we were, you know, sort of scrambling to find um, a couple of girls that would be available. We got them in the car and we were driving down to Salem. And within minutes, at least two of the girls um, had, and these were seventh grade girls, um, had experiences of uh, dating violence already at school. And, uh, and we didn't pick these girls knowing this, but they got in front of the committee and, and shared their stories about uh, what it was like to be harassed uh, at school sexually. And um, it was very interesting because the committee had three men and three women, and the man who was in charge of the committee leaned down to the girls and said, thank you so much for coming and sharing your stories, but this legislation doesn't have a chance of passing. At which point, one of the women on the committee said, whoa, hold on, I don't think that's necessarily the case. Um, and it sort of galvanized them to push it forward. And a week later, we were in the governor's office signing that legislation. That's a great story. Yeah. That's fantastic. Mm -hmm. Congratulations. Um, and applauses, applauses <laughs> is appropriate. Um, Elizabeth, thank you for all the work you do. Thank you for showing up today. And, and one more song to take us out. Yeah, so we chose uh, Rachel Platten's uh, fight song. Um, we have been partnering with the Women's Foundation of Oregon, um, who's in the process right now of uh, wrapping up a very comprehensive research report on the status of women, uh, status of women and girls in Oregon. And um, the reason I, we picked this song is that um, the fact that the girls have to fight, you know, there continue to be issues that um, hold them back and prevent them from reaching um, their full potential. Uh, is something that um, we'd like to call attention to and ask everybody to look for this report in September when it's published. Wonderful. Thank you so much. And Girls Inc. of the Pacific Northwest uh, can be found, obviously, online. Yep. Elizabeth Nye is the Executive Director. This has been the Nonprofit Hour. Thank you so much. Thanks. Like a small boat on the ocean Sending big waves into motion Like how a single word can make a heart open I might only have one match, but I can make an explosion
We've now come to the end of this week's Nonprofit Hour show. The show has been produced and edited by myself, Jason Dennington, and is recorded at the production studios of X-Ray FM. You can follow us on Facebook or via our Twitter handle, at Nonprofit Hour, and find archives of past shows on our SoundCloud page or free podcasts on the Apple iTunes Store. If you'd like to make a comment or suggestion about an organization we should profile on a future show, please send an email to nph at mediamakingchange.org. We'd like to thank our guests on the show this week, Phil Marshall of Oregon Crusaders and Elizabeth Nye of Girls Inc. of the Pacific Northwest. We'd also like to thank the Media Institute for Social Change, our host, Phil Bussey, KXRY Radio X-Ray FM, and you, our regular listeners. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you have a great week, and join us again next week at noon on Monday for the Nonprofit Hour Show. <laughs>